It's Friday, December 22nd. It was an idyllic Christmas town until bullets started flying. We start here. A gunman opens fire on students in Prague. There's a real sense of shock. People are just bewildered. Our team is there on the ground. We'll walk you through what happened. Israel and Hamas appear to give up on a second ceasefire. I'm furious that now we're at five, six, seven thousand children killed and they're becoming statistics and not stories. Now officials warn about millions on the brink. And if you had to choose one American thing to represent Christmas to the world, what would it be? I'd like the eight-piece chicken barrel. The holiday tradition you never knew about has exploded overseas. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Prague is considered one of the most pristine cities in Europe. The capital of the Czech Republic has famously been visited by violence, only to counter it with nonviolence. Through the snow, the legions of occupation march into Czechoslovakia. When Nazis took over the country in the 1930s, they killed student demonstrators. When the Soviet Union supported a coup, communist forces were met with nonviolent resistance. Crowds jeer and argue with the blank, uncomprehending faces of the troops they thought were their allies. Perhaps most notably, a student who set himself on fire in defiance. His name was Jan Pollock, and decades later, after a peaceful handover known as the Velvet Revolution, they named a town square after him, a tribute to peace and the power of free thought on campus. Well, yesterday, at Jan Pollock Square, a mass shooter opened fire on college students. The alleged gunman pacing the roof, shooting down, firing what appears to be a rifle at random. This has become the most deadly civilian shooting in the country's history and has been met with horror throughout much of the world. ABC's foreign correspondent Tom Sufi Burridge is in the Czech capital right now in Old Town Prague. Tom, can you walk us through what happened here? Brad, I'm standing on one of the main bridges uh, crossing into the old town of Prague and right in front of me is the arts faculty of Charles University, a scene of horror just hours ago. Police flooding the scene at Charles University, one of the oldest universities in the world. A gunman effectively was up on top of the building, we believe, according to officials, uh, shooting down at random. The gunman uh, was a student at the Faculty of Art, and and that is where he started his shooting spree mid-afternoon. It was a couple of... uh... Uh, banks. I didn't even realize it's a it's a shooting. But suddenly there were uh, students and, and teachers running out of uh, uh, out of the building. Police say that he had killed his father in his village earlier in the day. That's what's believed to have happened. Then he came down to the faculty, according to Czech officials. Uh, He was due to attend a lecture at the arts faculty building and at some point he started firing. It looks like it's something totally unprecedented and I think everybody is completely shaken. These kind of shootings in the Czech Republic or Czechia are incredibly rare. I mean, in the last few years, there's been a couple of mass shootings, but the number of casualties and victims today is way beyond those two mass shootings. We're looking at about 14 people killed at least, more than 20 people injured in this pretty random attack. And do we know 
is there a motive? Is to, like, is there any connection, perhaps, to like the many conflicts happening in the world right now, or is there any sense? So uh, the police here in the Czech Republic have ruled out terrorism, any link to terrorism at all. Okay. Uh, we're not clear right now about the motive of this individual. Uh, we're not uh, naming him right now because his identity is not 100% confirmed by police, although they think they have a good idea of who he is. I mean, what officials are saying, Brad, is that this individual was inspired by a similar mass shooting abroad. It's unconfirmed, but reports suggest that could have been a shooting in Russia in recent years. Uh, they say that he uh, legally possessed several firearms. Uh, they also say that uh, they're investigating explosives that were left inside uh, the arts faculty building uh, in front of me, right in the centre of downtown Prague. Uh, and really, at the moment, the police investigation is ongoing. They say the killer, the gunman, did not have any accomplices. Uh, and at the moment, officials here are calling this shooting spree unprecedented and insane. Yeah, I was going to say, Tom, what, what has the reaction been there in the Czech Republic and, and I guess uh, around Europe? Because again, like you said, the legally owned guns, but this is so rare to see this much ammunition deployed. Well, Brad, officials here in Prague are using the word tragedy repeatedly. There's a real sense of shock. I don't understand how a person like that can get their hands on a gun. I was just, you know, ready to admit that something like that could happen in Prague. People are just bewildered at how this could happen just before Christmas. The Christmas markets famous in this city are just a few minutes walk away. And that is where the, the shooting spree started, right in the heart of one of the busiest cities in Europe for tourists. Yeah, it really, to hear these officials describing it, like this is a national tragedy. That's how people on the streets are describing it. It's to that scale, even though, sadly, I mean, some of these casualty numbers are numbers that we've seen in American shootings before. But but this idea that, that one man could kill this many people, utterly unheard of. And now we'll see what sort of action there will be in the Czech Republic after this. Uh, Tom Sufi-Burge there in Prague. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Next up on Start Here, the death toll has reached a new threshold in Gaza. We'll take you there after the break. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.
Someone mentioned that if there was a word to describe the world in 2023, it was weary, which is how it feels, right? We're going to end this year with two major wars, each with their own humanitarian crises, one of which has only really just taken shape in recent weeks. In fact, just the other day, Gaza's death toll reached 20,000. We do support smaller, more localized, more targeted humanitarian pauses to get hostages out and to get more aid in. There had been hopeful rumors about another potential ceasefire, maybe a week where everyone put down their guns, more hostages were released, and more aid got into Gaza. Well, yesterday, Israel and Hamas began to pour cold water on the idea of that happening. Let's go to ABC's foreign correspondent, Britt Klenet, who's in Israel right now. Britt, a lot of people are going to be off work next week, away from their routine, so I did want to get a sense. Where does the war stand as we head into the new year? Well, as you say, 20,000 dead, that death toll will climb. What we're seeing right now is is on the Israeli side, hostages who are still held in captivity. A deal is required today. Bring them home now! Very sad, desperate people standing outside the uh, defense ministry, some of them camping outside. These are Uh, families of the hostages. We will not stop until the moment we'll be at home again, alive. You know, I speak to them day after day and they are just at their wits end and they're just demanding that the government negotiate in some way to get their loved ones home. At the same time, that death toll, as I say, climbing in Gaza. It's unsure whether a ceasefire will happen, any kind of humanitarian pause will happen. There have been serious talks uh, and negotiations over trying to get back into another pause and a hostage exchange. The White House says that there are serious negotiations underway, but Israel's saying, you know, well, there's no direct negotiations underway with Hamas at the moment. And Hamas told ABC that talks in Egypt, those talks we've been talking about, well, they ended without any results. So I wish I could give you an answer, but there is so much unknown as we head into the holidays and this new year, Brad. Well, so then if that is the reality, if that's kind of the reality everyone's accepting, then I mean, what does that mean for the people of Gaza in the meantime? Good question. And I don't often say this, and I don't think a lot of journalists say this, but I'm running out of words to describe the devastation, the loss of life, the apocalyptic-like situation in Gaza right now. I'm furious that now we're at five, six, seven thousand children killed and they're becoming statistics and not... And, and not stories. A UNICEF spokesperson gave a speech about kind of how angry he is. He said he's furious that this kind of hypocrisy is crushing empathy. You know, in this time of year where we're all supposed to be kind of reflective and, and have a lot of love and goodwill, it's just uh, such a desperate situation. Millions on the brink of starvation, I spoke to Awa Naif in Rafa in southern Gaza. It's sadly to say so many people had to die to make the world understand that we deserve to live. She said basically that she felt the world had kind of turned their backs on Gazans. She ha- doesn't have electricity. She barely has any water, any food to feed her kids. They were hungry and I was in the middle of an an evacuation and I couldn't provide anything for them. She's moved five times, Brad, around the country, evacuating from one place to the next to the next. And she says, 
We're just kind of waiting. It's not a, a space where you can feel totally safe because there is no one single place where you can say here it's a secure place where I can sleep the night. And we are collateral damage in all of this. We have nothing to do with the fighting, but we are paying a price with our lives. And the starvation concerns, millions perhaps on the brink of starvation, is that just because like the aid trucks stopped coming after the ceasefire? Is that is that the reason? Part of it, yeah. I mean, it's only trickling in. It's literally a drop in the ocean. It's just not enough. Even with those trucks going in from the Rafa crossing, from the Karem Shalom crossing, that's from Israel, it just frankly isn't enough. One is to get uh, volume and, and scale up. And the second, of course, is to be able to deliver uh, throughout the strip. And for that to happen, we need uh, and call for a uh, humanitarian uh, ceasefire. The UN is now saying that the majority of the population in Gaza is facing crisis levels of hunger. You see video of people clamoring at soup kitchens, little kids lining up with big pots, just desperate for some food. So yes, it is an extremely desperate situation in Gaza. Water is also extremely scarce. We've got dozens lining up at a water tank. Mm. As I say, it's it's getting extremely hard to to describe how bad it is in there. And then last question, I guess, for you. And, and you know, I imagine we'd know more as the new year begins. But do, is there a sense, at least from the Israeli side, they're the ones doing this military operation, of how long this could go on for, I guess? Well, they have relayed to U.S. officials that their fight against Hamas could take months but they haven't really explained what happens after the war. The day after scenario. Mm. Who takes control of Gaza? Who moves in? Is it the Palestinian Authority? Well, that seems to be what the US is pushing for, but Prime Minister Netanyahu has voiced his opposition to that. So there surely are more questions than answers now. I see. And Palestinian Authority, for people who might be wondering, like that's the group that basically heads up everything in the West Bank, the larger Palestinian area. However, Hamas has been in charge of Gaza. Some people wondering, could the Palestinian Authority take over there now? Um, Rick Clenet, there in Israel. We'll see what happens next. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, it smells like Christmas, which apparently has the width of wings. One last thing is next. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. And one last thing. There's that feeling when you're so close to Christmas you can taste it. And that taste is not limited to majority Christian countries. People here do enjoy their Christmas. That's Anthony Trotter, our producer in Tokyo, who's lived in Japan most of his life. He says, as you walk around Japan and you see all these red and green lights everywhere, you see how popular the concept of Christmas has become there. In kind of a similar vein to Halloween, right? It's less about belief systems than just a reason to have a good time. Christmas is as much a part of the landscape as the bullet trains and the ramen shops. And you know how every country has their own Christmas traditions. Dutch kids are visited by Sinterklaas, who leaves treats in their shoes. Filipino cities create these huge, dazzling lanterns. And in Japan, you mark Christmas with Kentucky Fried Chicken. At Christmas time here in Japan, one of the popular meals to have is KFC. 
When he says it's popular, he doesn't mean a few expats looking for a taste of home. He means the entire country has bought in. They begin taking orders well in advance for the holiday rush. Wait, they take advance orders? Like you put in your KFC order at, like ahead of time? Like a, like a Thanksgiving turkey situation? Brad, they started taking orders back in November for Christmas Day. Kentucky wants all... In fact, yesterday, in the streets of Tokyo, Anthony stopped to talk with some locals who said the crush of guests at their local KFCs had become so intense, they decided to have their Christmas dinner a few days early this year. (laughs) So how does this happen? How does American fast food become an essential part of Japanese Christmas? Well, Anthony says there are a few possibilities. One is that foreigners were looking for Christmas turkeys and had to settle for whatever poultry they could find. But my favorite origin story is this one. There is the story of Takeshi Okawada. He was one of the original managers who later became the CEO. So it's rumored that he started the notion that fried chicken was a traditional Christmas meal in America. Can't you just imagine that? Hey, you guys, I promise this is how those Americans do things. You'll love it. Flash forward to now, and Tokyo residents say you can't escape this if you try. Since childhood, this woman said, she's seen ads titled Kentucky for Christmas with happy families seated around the table. Often they bring in famous actors for celebrity cameos. But what does one order for your KFC Christmas feast? Chicken no bareru hachi piece. I like the eight-piece chicken barrel. This is like the gift basket version of what take-home KFC meals would look like. They have these things called barrels. Barrels. And inside these tubes, you're going to have your chicken on the top, fixins in the middle, and on the bottom, you're going to have your cold stuff, your cake. That's right, cake. Chocolate cake and strawberry shortcake are popular options. The chicken is sometimes stuffed with cheese and mushrooms. It's more than a bucket of chicken. Then there's the guy standing outside. Just Google Colonel Sanders and KFC Japan. You're going to be shocked. If you thought Japanese people liked KFC, well, they apparently really love Colonel Sanders, specifically this version of the colonel. He's a Japanese man, a little more rotund, but with that same distinctive facial hair. These life-size statues of Colonel Sanders that adorn the KFC restaurants Uh, They get a makeover at the holidays. Anthony told me the image of Santa Claus is one thing that is not super big in Japan, in part because Colonel Sanders has taken over the job. When he's in a Santa suit in the holiday season, he becomes ubiquitous. He might as well be Santa. When I see Colonel Sanders come out as Santa Claus, I know it's time for Christmas. Some restaurants have stopped putting him out because people try to steal him. He's too popular. And this is probably my favorite thing about this take on the holiday. The Japanese are embracing what we've always known deep down, that while this is a deeply meaningful religious occasion for two billion Christians, to much of the world, it is defined by its commercialism. I think that, uh, you know, the Japanese have embraced this capitalistic fun aspect of the holiday we know as Christmas, and they've made it uniquely their own. Like, forget Colonel Sanders. Our most iconic version of Santa Claus in the U.S. is the one popularized by Coca-Cola. But this all serves as a vehicle, an excuse, to sit around the table with loved ones, enjoy some food, some warmth, and cheer. Wherever there are families laughing and eating something finger-licking good, there's Christmas. 
and an early thank you card from me to you. Today is our 1500th episode. That's 1,500 times we brought you the news. So whether you're an OG listener or whether you've just started to start here, I'm so glad I get to spend my mornings with you. However, I want to let you know we will not be spending the morning with you on Monday, Christmas Day. We're giving the team the day off. But then for the rest of the week, we've prepared a special slate of episodes. So all I want for Christmas is to have you check out the pod starting next Tuesday. Start Here is produced by Kelly Therese, Jen Newman, Brenda Salinas-Baker, Vika Aronson, Iru Ekpenobi, Cameron Chertavian, Anthony Ali, Mauro Milwaukee, and Tara Gimbel. Ariel Chester is our social media producer. Josh Cohan is director of podcast programming. I'm our managing editor. Laura Mayer is our executive producer. Thanks to Lakia Brown, John Newman, and Liz Alessi. Special thanks this week to Chris Berry, Jonah Haskell, Jim Scholes, Chris Madrano, and to David Peterkin and Betsy Shore, our standards and legal team who do so much to make sure everything we're bringing you is accurate and fair. They're they're like very tall, very well-dressed elves, right? They're always out of sight. They don't like the bearded guy out front to talk about them, but they are making magic happen. I'm Brad Milkey. Happy holidays, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.